again, and then we'll be dismissed to our Sunday school classes, okay? Thank you, Valerie. So you have a new, uh, we went over chapter one of part six for about three weeks, and now we're on to chapter two. The title, as you see on your handout, is uh, Don't You Want Progress and to Be on the Right Side of History. Um, On your handout there, uh, the biblical answer is yes and yes. We do want progress, and we do want to be on the right side of history. Um, Bear with me a second here. And your letter A there, Christians want, and I would add biblical, but the, the blank there really is true progress. Christians want true progress that leads to real human flourishing and is eternally, eternally on the right side of history. When, uh, basically on the, the secular side, they will say, or the unbelievers, they would say again, when they ask this question to believers, they're basically making an argument, and they're alleging that Christianity is hindering mankind. That's your blank there in number two. Well, I'm sorry, Roman numeral two, the secular world view. The secular world view alleges that Christianity is hindering mankind. And they also allege that future generations will look back at those who impeded the secular utopia with disdain. Okay, so they're saying, you Christians, you are not on, you do not want progress, 
and you don't really want to be on the right side of history or you're not on the right side of history, we know better. We know what we're doing with society. We are guiding it the way it should go. And you Christians are hindering that. And succeeding generations are going to look back at this time and say, boy, those Christians, they really held back progress. Um, They held back history as we would have wanted it to bloom into this utopia, okay, that they imagined. Um, But Roman numeral three, and this is a similar question to what we've asked many times in, in different ways throughout this set of studies, but who determines Um, genuine or true progress in which side of history is the right side of history. It's kind of strange in a way, talking about it in terms of sides of history, but you can kind of see um, where our society is headed. and, And, you know, again, we say that, and yet it's, this is, it's gone through cycles, Okay, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Cain killed his brother Abel, right? Shortly after that, uh, of course they sinned and all that. But 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 then when they had children, it's like we think of when we think of sin. Maybe on the top we'd say murder is the worst sin. Can't get much worse than murder. Um, you disagree, Shane? Sin, sin. sin is sin, but. We would tend to say, in our view, yeah, yeah, right, right. Lying would send you to hell, but yeah, murder. I mean, you know, you think of a court of law, and typically, murder gets the the, the stronger penalties, the stronger, you know, longer sentences or life sentences, whatever it might be. But anyways, Cain killed his brother. I mean, so things were really bad early on, and then you have the flood. And then you have the Tower of Babel. And you you have, you know, things have been bad. We've had a little reprieve in America, okay? And Europe maybe did for a while as well. So it's not that history, this is the first time this has ever happened. But we are in a downward spiral that I think is catching most of our attention. Okay, it's like things are really bad, at least in our lifetimes, we see that things are going downhill at an accelerating rate. And it's because the secularists are trying to lead history into the future, if you will, lead into the future without God. Okay, so they think they're progressing, they're on the way of progress, and they're on the right side of history. But we know they're not. Okay, um, letter A, underneath number, so did we get the blanks here? Yeah. Roman numeral three, who determines genuine progress and which side of history is the right side? Letter A, when the secularist judges, and that's right, they are drawing a blatant distinction between words and actions. They consider right and others they consider to be wrong. And remember from our previous lesson, they claim that it's not right to judge, but they are judging. Okay, So when they judge that the Christian version of progress is bad and their version is good, by what standard are they judging? And we've talked about this before in different ways. But I wrote, I'm putting it this way. They are judging by a standard they made up. 
Okay, that's, that's your blanks here. A standard they made up. So by a standard anyone could create on their own, virtually out of thin air, we have to ask, or we can ask them, hopefully in a loving, conversational way, why wouldn't Stalin or Mao or Osama bin Laden or Pol Pot or Hitler define good progress? How are you to define good progress? Why couldn't any of those leaders of history have been defining good progress if you can create a standard on your own, right? So, and again, as we've seen many times throughout the study, the authority of secularists, when traced to the source, is their own arbitrary opinion that they intolerantly and as the author of the book said, bigotedly force on others without consideration of whether or not it brings an offense. They've got their way that they're sure is right, and uh, they don't want anybody else to get in the way of that. Okay, but then, letter B. We can ask them, actually, why would secularists even care about progress or the coming generations anyway? In their worldview, humanity, number one, humanity is a chemical accident. Morality is fluid. Truth is relative. And autonomy is king. For one thing. So again, the whole concept of the Big Bang, which is what the secularists say, this is how our universe came into being, which the longer I live and the more I learn about the Bible and, and the more stories I hear, the more ridiculous the whole concept is. You know how, when you think about the energy in our universe, even of the energy of the sun, how could that energy have come from nothing? Think about it. I mean, how could extraordinary heat and power come from nothing? You got to really ask yourself these questions. Okay, so, but from their perspective, if the Big Bang is true, it, we're a chemical accident. We just happen to we just happen to come along. So why does it really matter? Number two, eventually everyone will be extinct, with no memory of history preserved. I just thought of something that's kind of a comforting thought. We know God's word abides forever, right? This, this document will never go away. It, it endures forever, for all eternity. But any other document on this earth, it'll be gone. It'll be burned up. So, so and that's a sad thought, though, if you think about it. You know, they're concerned about global warming and whatever, and we know that there's going to be severe global warming in the future. <laughs> okay? God's going to burn it all up. But, but there's going to be, you know, you really, really, why would they care? If the end of history as we know it won't even be known by anyone forever. It'll just kind of go off into the oblivion again. Number three... The reality is to care for humanity's plight is, again, to borrow 
from the Christian worldview. They, they don't want to admit that, but if they care, why would they care? The only reason to care is if you take the biblical perspective, which we're going to get into. Uh, I'm going to pause here. I've just been talking. Any questions or comments? Well, ultimately, they'd have to admit, well, the second law of thermodynamics, which is hard to, you know, basically says everything is wearing down. Everything is going downhill. So ultimately, if you believe science, true science at all, there's got to be an end to this. And the end would be total destruction of the planet. They want to hold on to it as long as they can for their own sake. But ultimately, it will be gone. And there wouldn't be any, anyone around to remember it. Maybe never thought about it that way, but ultimately, that's, that's where you've got to go. Yeah, God, God's, God's morals does not change. Man's does. Man's has. The more, the more you set the Bible aside and don't pay any attention to it, the more downhill that goes. And there were a lot more bad kings than there were good kings. <laughs> don't, don't put my name on this. And I, th- I think we're kind of in that process right now. Absolutely. That's where, you know, people want to say all religions lead to the same place and, you know, they all have the same purpose and all that. We know that's not true at all, but that's, that's what they want to say. And so much even of the formerly Christian churches are going that way more and more, opening more doors for ways you can get to heaven. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, so here we are. Um, all right, so let's, let's start getting into the good stuff. Letter C, the biblical worldview overflows with sincere reasons to care for humanity. Because, for one thing, all humans are created in God's image and have souls that will eternally, eternally exist in either heaven, or hell. You don't need to turn to Genesis one twenty-seven. Hopefully you've got that memorized. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are made in God's image. Right off the top, that's one reason why we should care about humanity and about society. Let's, though, turn to Matthew, chapter 25. And the idea that we will exist eternally either in heaven or in hell. Okay, yeah, I have a whole range there. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I'm not going to read through all of that. But... Uh, I'm gonna st- well, I'm going to start at verse 31, and then just follow me as I skip around a little bit. When, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then skip on down to verse 41. Verse 41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then kind of summarize in verse 46, he says, These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the everlasting punishment will be in hell and the eternal life will be in heaven. So each of them are everlasting or eternal. The one's punishment and the other is life. And I, I, you know, I... Sometimes I'll have my brain short circuit when I try and think about God's awesome creation, how, how it can be, you know, how deep, you know, how far the universe is, the, the, the galaxies, you know, and all that. But it also can short circuit or explode when I think about, when I try and comprehend how glorious heaven will be. I realize, it's like, I, we, can't, we can't really conceive of it. First, Imagine being without your sin. That you will never day to day sin. Can we comprehend that? But how glorious that will be. Then again, being in a place where the climate, if you will, will be absolutely perfect. It'll be like the perfect day every day. Of course, more important than that, we can actually see Jesus without being destroyed in his glory and rejoice in what he's done for us forever. I mean, we just can't... You can pick your very best day on earth you've ever had and it won't come close to comparing with the glory of heaven. So, but that's what we get to look forward to in heaven. On the other hand, we also can't imagine the horror of hell. Whatever pain you've ever experienced, however bad it might be, imagine that lasting forever. Of you never having relief from it. Again, we can only, you know, we don't want to think about that much, but we should consider it at times when we think that's where most of humanity is headed, except for a miracle that God might do in their heart <clears throat> to save them. So yeah, that, that's a reason we care, that we want to be, that we want progress. What is progress? It's maybe not even in the notes, but what is progress from a biblical perspective? Growing in the Lord, that is progress. Seeing others come to the Lord. Seeing others come to the Lord. Building the church, right? 
adding to our numbers because people come to the Lord. We're adding to, the, you know, where the heavenly host praises God, you know, rejoices when he sees a soul saved. That's progress. And why, why are those things progress? Why is growing in the Lord and seeing people come to know the Lord, why, why is that progress in the biblical sense? Furthers God's kingdom. It helps society go the way God wants it to go. That's progress. But if it goes the other way, which is where we're going, that's, that's not progress, is it? Um, I don't think it's in your notes. Um, yeah, you can jot down another. When we're thinking about this in terms of progress and, and the fact that some will go to heaven, some to hell, uh, jot down Matthew 16, 26. And we're not too far away from there, so turn back to that, Matthew 16. I'm going to start in verse 24, actually. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think you'll find that statement about four other times in the New Testament. It's pretty important. The idea is we're not to save our lives, we're to lose it so that we can, uh, for his sake, find it. For Verse 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? <clears throat> What our society is trying to do, in a sense, is to gain the whole world, gain it for themselves. They think they're making it better, but they're going to lose their own soul if they stay in that path. So there's no profit to this. So the question, you know, what profit is it to a man? The answer is none. There's no profit. It's the negative of profit. To gain the whole world but lose your own soul. So that, that, again, from a biblical standpoint, that's what we should be interested in, what we should... Um, oh, and then just in terms of judgment, verse 27 does kind of right there where we are. It says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father, uh, in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward... Um, that's how the King James, New King James puts it. The NASB and ESV say repay... The idea is to recompense or to do justice. He will reward each according to his works. So um, he will deal with them according to their character. The righteous he will reward in heaven with glory and happiness. The wicked he will send to hell as a reward or a recompense for their evil works. Good point. Yeah, good. Um, and yeah, I, I thought about and I'm not even going to, I'm not going to not know, not only am I not going to name names, but I'm not going to say who I'm thinking of in the sense of relationships or anything, but I know, and you probably know people like this too, who, who they don't give any, any credence to the Bible, and they think when it comes to politics or doing things to help people or whatever, that, 
that they don't think this book has any bearing on that. They think that let's just be practical about things and help society. But if you take the scriptures out of that equation, you're not going to help society. This will help, and in this lesson, we'll get us into that. But, but that's, that's kind of the temporal versus eternal. If you do away with the, the things, you know, focusing on the things you can see instead of the things you can't see, the spiritual, you're, gonna, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. And so people might be well-intentioned thinking that, but they're, they're, if they go away from the master designer's plan it's going to be destruction. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Yeah, just, and this is maybe, just, this is a, a mild example. I mean, there's some extreme ones we've gone through in terms of the, the gender identity and the, the uh, transgender stuff and all that, these things going on in our society. But even thinking about that mentality of trying to help people, what does the government do? Give them money. Give them money. Or give them this benefit or that benefit. And you can see what it's done to our society there. And I, you know, there's um, situations, I know, some may be here in this this church, where it's like, where it's a disincentive to work. It's like the more money you make, the less you get uh, from the government, and ultimately that might end up in a trade-off where you're, you're earning less than you could be. It's like the more you work, the less you actually get to, to live on. Those kind of things, and boy, we got a lot of that going on. So it sounds nice, it seems nice, it seems like you're trying to be a nice guy, but it's not helping, because we know if a man should not work, neither shall he eat. I mean, there's a it's a good thing to work. One of our contractors that we had early on when we were here working on our deck extension, roof extension, he, he's, he's about our age, and he's working hard, and he's like, well, I remember him saying flat out, he said, it's a blessing to work. He, he, li- he likes to work. It's a blessing to be able to work and work, and it's like, that's a wonderful attitude. Sometimes you can feel overworked, but it is a blessing to be able to work, and we're our society has taken that away from people to a great degree. Right, with COVID, that exploded. Yeah. And I think we're still recovering from that. People still can't find a way that where they can go back to work and, and be better off than they are without working. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of really good comments. And, and, I, and that, yeah, that is different. That, that's where it's not to say that it's not good to help people where they need help but the problem is helping to such a degree, put that in quotes, helping to such a degree that you, that you take that joy of accomplishment and purpose out of people's lives. And, and again, like, like Brandon said, you can't blame somebody who kind of was brought up that way. And, and, and there's a sense um, in our sin where we tend to be lazy. If we, can do so, if we can get something without having to work for it, there's a tendency to want to do that. So we're just feeding that tendency and letting people live that way. And it is a shame. And again, that was not in my mind at all when I came into this lesson, but I guess it's just one of the aspects of where when you take God out of the picture, you can go. It's so, the result. It's the result. Yes, it's one of the results. 
of that of, of this perspective. So we're going to stop there, just before number two of letter C, and uh, we'll get into. I'm looking forward to the next time because we'll really get into scripture and discuss things even more. And there's folks coming in. in. Maybe they're not. Let's pray so that they can come in. Father in heaven, we thank you for, again, your word. Oh God, we do thank you that your word will endure forever, even into eternity in heaven. And we thank you for the wisdom that is there for us, stored up for us. And we pray that you'd help us to seek it out and apply it to our lives. We pray now for your blessing upon the service to come, that we would focus on you, desire to learn, to, to be attentive to your word and to sing praises to you, and to pray in a way that would honor you. We ask in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.